0: To the matter at hand, Uh, we want to talk a little bit today about, uh, I I told you last week that I was going to compile some quotes about God and Christianity and specifically who is Jesus and his two natures and the Trinity, um, a collection of quotes, and uh, maybe we'll have the, the projector and... I'm going to do that in a couple weeks, since today uh, our morning and our evening sermons both landed in a place in the scriptures that have to do with prayer, 2 Samuel 7 this morning, Ephesians 6 this evening, I thought, well, it might be really helpful to talk about something that is um, kind of a problem amongst Christians, and that is uh, praying heretical prayers, um, and oftentimes, uh, we forget, as we're praying, how to pray and how to direct our prayers. And um, this, this, is, this is important because... Uh, I mean, you don't want to be, you never want to be too critical of someone's prayers. You don't want to. You don't want to sit there and listen and say, oh, you got that wrong, oh, you got that wrong, oh, you got that wrong. Um, nevertheless, we do need to grow, right? We need to, we need, we can't just stay in ignorance, and we do need to grow. And, uh, and one great problem that I, I hear often in prayers are um, modalistic prayers. Um, modalism is an ancient heresy, That uh, teaches that God is one person. God is one person, and that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are just different expressions of that one person. Um, that's not how the, the living God has revealed himself in Scripture. God is one in essence, He's one God. But he's three in person. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's important for us to remember that as we confessed this morning in the, in the Athanasian Creed. God okay, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Father is not... The, Holy, the Son and the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son. And yet the Son is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. They are not each one part of God. Uh, each of the divine persons is fully God. And each has a role in creation. Each has a role in redemption. Each is engaged in our prayers. When we pray, uh, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. Our is important. This is why when I've been asked to lead the prayer at um, the city council for Santee, I've declined. Because my Lord taught us to pray, Our Father. And I can't stand, I can't lead a group of non-Christians in prayer. Because how can I say, Our Father? How do I know if everybody there has God as his Father? Unless he's in Christ. I know we don't, we don't think about those things, do we? We just think, well, naturally, that's great. Our pastor's going to go to... Uh, I can't do that in good, in good conscience. Um, I'll, I tell them, thank you very much. Mo- I'll pray for you, um, but I can't, I can't necessarily pray with you. Now, some ministers might say there's a way that you can kind of do theological hopscotch around that, and, but at the end of the day, prayer is a Christian exercise. We pray our Father. This is also why I don't like family gatherings where there are non-Christians and we all hold hands and pray at Thanksgiving. It's the worst part of my whole year. Yes, I love my family. Yes, I want to hold their hands. Yes, And, and guess who always gets asked to pray? The professional in the family. And so I can't start out by saying our Father. I usually start out by saying Almighty God, and, uh, and there is a way maybe you could pray that in a, in a, a civil setting, um, even though you may be praying with Wiccans and um, that kind of thing. So, but here's the thing I want to get at today. We pray to the Father. Now, it's not wrong to pray Lord Jesus. There are two, only two prayers that I'm aware of in all of Scripture, where Jesus is addressed. Can you you think of any of those? Good. Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Which was very important for him to say at that moment. Because remember, he's being stoned by the Sanhedrin. He's being murdered for saying that Jesus is Lord. And so he deliberately says that. And then the other one that I'm aware of is at the end of scripture, come Lord Jesus. But how did Jesus himself teach us how to pray? Because here's the thing. You might say, oh, uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm going with what Jesus said. You can go with whatever you think is best. I'm going with what the Lord Jesus Christ said and how we should pray. And I'm not Stephen, and I'm not the Apostle John who both said that. And again, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to, say, to pray to the Lord Jesus, but I think it's better that we pray the way Jesus himself taught us to pray, and that is our Father. So the Father is the one to whom we direct our prayers. Now here's where modalism starts to set in. Is um, Sometimes if we're not thinking about what we are praying, we uh, might say something like this, Father, we, just, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, and for saving us. We don't think about it. But think about what, what what we're saying when we pray that. And yes, it does matter. It does matter. Because the Father did not die on the cross for our sins. That's actually an ancient heresy called modalism that was condemned by the church. And it's a heresy that continues to uh, live into this very day. Uh, it's in for example, Oneness Pentecostalism, the uh, teaching of like T.D. Jakes, says that, well, the Father is the Son, and the Son is the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't just the Son who died on the cross, it was the Father who died on the cross. But that's not what the Bible says. Only the Son assumed a human nature. And guys, that's the Christian faith. Anything other than that is a different religion. It doesn't matter what's in my heart or what's in someone else's heart. It's a different religion than Christianity. Just as we confessed this morning from the Athanasian Creed, if one must be saved, he must believe thus about the Trinity. So the Father did not die on the cross. The Father does not have a body, nor does the Holy Spirit, because they are different persons of the one God. Not three gods, but one God. And so we have to be careful that we aren't modalistic in our prayers. Um, I think it's, 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 it's a form of worship when we are careful and deliberate. We are honoring God when we are careful and deliberate in our words. Because God matters enough. He's important enough for us to, to, to pray with our words. It doesn't mean that we have to become you know, Pharisees and going on correcting everybody when they're wrong, okay? but it does mean that we need to strive to be biblical in our prayers, praying to the Father through the mediation of the Son and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the eternal triune Godhead are active in your prayer. As you're, trying, as you're struggling and just trying to make your prayer known to the Father, your prayer goes through the mediation of the Son. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. And so the, the triune God is at work. The triune God, again, always each person has a role in creation. The Father spoke all things into existence, and as Colossians tells us, through the Son. And it was in the power of the Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters in the very beginning. In redemption, what happens? The Father is the one who sent the Son to accomplish all that the Father gave him to do, namely live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, be raised again from the dead. And it was in the power of the Holy Spirit that that happened. It was the Holy Spirit who caused him to be conceived, the, the humanity to be conceived and joined to the eternal nature of the Son. And it was the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. So all three members are active in our redemption and in our salvation. All three members are active in our prayers. So we need to honor the Lord in our prayers as we think about his distinct roles and our relationship to each person. Um, So when we are thanking God, you know, for dying on the cross for our sins, I want to encourage us to understand that the proper way to do that is to thank the Father for sending the Son. and But don't, don't affirm the things that the Son did, or, or rather attribute to the Father the things that the Son did. We can't say that the Father died on the cross because he did not. Uh, and so this is, this is important for us to keep in mind. Uh, this was a uh, a heresy known as modalism, known also as Sabellianism. It was taught by a guy named Sabellius, who lived in the third century. So this was even before the first ecumenical council. As we've been going into church history these last several weeks, uh, um, and basically what Sabellius taught, and also a guy named Praxius, uh, against whom Tertullian wrote. And Praxius and Sabellius are mentioned in the Belgic Confession, in Article Nine. Uh, where we confess the Trinity. It says that we do not believe. In fact, it might be worth just turning to that real quick. Um, if you turn to the back of the Psalter hymnal, and you find the Belgic Confession. the Confession of Faith, Article 9. They're in Roman numerals there, so uh, Article 9 looks like a... Um, a one and an x Let's see 7 8 9 that long one there proof of the foregoing article of the trinity of persons in one god don't worry I'm not going to read the whole thing but if you go down to the last paragraph there page 73 in the back of the Psalter hymnal okay this doctrine of the holy trinity i'm reading the last paragraph on the bottom of page 73 this doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been affirmed and maintained by the true church since the time of the apostles to this very day against the Jews, Mohammedans, that's um, Muslims, and some false Christians and heretics, such as Marcion, Manes, Praxius, Sibelius, Samosa, S- uh, Samosatinus, Arius, and such like who have been justly condemned by the Orthodox Fathers. Therefore, in this point, we do willingly receive the three creeds, namely that of the apostles of Nicaea and of Athanasius. Likewise, that which conformable thereunto is agreed upon by the ancient fathers, such as the Chalcedonian Creed. This is reformed. This is a reformed confession that affirms the ancient creeds. It's in our confession. And uh, so it names a few heretics there, and Praxius and Sibelius taught modalism that uh, it's essentially the Father died on the cross the same as the Son died on the cross. No, we can't say that. The Son prayed to the Father. He wasn't praying to himself. The, father, the Son said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. His, in his humanity, he is submitting himself to the Father. He, he, it's not that he's less than the Father, but he takes up a role when he uh, takes on our human nature, a role in which he becomes the servant to fulfill all that God has revealed in his law. And it's he that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he that was the one that lived, and he the one that had true body, uh, true soul. Uh, he, He is the one that has two natures, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, And it's he, the son, who is the object of our faith. Apart from the object of our faith, which is the God-man, Christ, we don't have Christianity. Because it's he that assumed our nature, lived, died, and was raised again. So we have to be careful in our prayers that we don't uh, conflate the, the person's. But that we actually think about the one to whom we are speaking. You know, if you went to go speak to the president or to a king or to someone very important, I think we would be, we would be very mindful of the words that we're using. And I think we need to be even more mindful uh, of, of the words that we use to God Almighty, and respecting His uh, specific persons, and not falling uh, back into some kind of heresy that has already been condemned by the ancient church such as sabellianism another name for it was patri passionism uh, because patri as you might guess means what father passion anybody know what passion means yeah well like the passion of christ what does that mean anybody know he's not talking about like his passion like oh, he's so passionate he's talking about his suffering yeah so Pat- patri passionism is uh, the idea that the father, Patry, suffered. The father cannot suffer. God cannot suffer. If God suffers, there's something greater than God. But Christ suffered. And here's again where we can use, remember what it's called, the communicatio idiomatum, where we say um, God suffered or God died or, God, or Mary, the mother of God, only in the sense that uh, we say that of Christ because he has two natures that cannot be separated, human and divine. But he is the object of our faith. As Luther said, he who goes looking for God outside of Christ finds only the devil. We have to go through Christ. Even as Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And and as the apostle said, there is no other name given among men under heaven that, um, by which we must be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ, which is the Son, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit. Uh, so it's only through him that these things are possible. Any questions so far? Yeah. Um, I heard a debate this, about modalism. So would is Yes. Yeah, one Pentecostalism is modalism today. Even though it was condemned you know, uh, in the third century. And it's a denial of the Trinity. And therefore, we cannot call it Christian. It cannot, it's something that denies. There's a difference between someone who says, I just don't understand the Trinity. Well, that's fine. Nobody can comprehend the Trinity completely. There's a difference between someone who says, "I, I don't know, I just know, I know I believe I'm a sinner and I believe that Christ is the Savior. That's okay. Now, you can't stay in that infant state but it's, that's different than someone who says, I reject the Trinity. And if we say, I reject the Trinity, or we practice a faith that rejects the Trinity, such as Islam or Mormonism, it's not Christianity. It's not even remotely Christian. So, and that would include oneness, Pentecostalism, teachers like T.D. Jakes. Yeah.
1: He won't, yeah, he won't affirm it.
0: And, what's the, and, and here's the problem, again, is you have someone, and this is common in the Pentecostal church, that they won't confess the creeds. And again, as soon as, we de- as soon as we separate ourselves from the ancient creeds, we have separated ourselves from the historic Christian church. We have no right or authority to do that. It doesn't matter how we feel or what experience we've had. As um, soon as we've de- departed that, we are in dangerous waters. There's always safety in confessing the things that the church has confessed. Uh, Other questions on modalism? Yes, Jerry. The Church of God, Seventh day, is that a modalistic? I don't know. I'm not sure. There's so many groups out there. There might be. I don't know. Yes, Mr. Villarino. Yeah. Mm hmm. Wait, where where are we here uh, yeah, well, the Athanasian Creed is actually combating modalism and every every other attack on the Trinity, but he, he therefore that that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity oh, so what what about people who lived in church history from the apostles until this time? Yeah, great question so here's the thing, right? This is what happens in church history so that's like saying, what, what? What about people who lived before the Council of Nicaea in 325, where Arius was condemned for denying the deity of Christ? Well, for one, we have to understand that uh, Jesus, God is uh, God, the Son is fully divine and fully human. Any denial of that is a denial of Christianity. And any denial of what God has revealed in his word about his nature uh, as being three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is very clear from scripture, is is a denial of Christianity and a denial of the God of the Bible. That becomes more clear and articulate once the church comes together and condemns a particular false teaching. So in other words, it's possible for someone to be you know, unclear on something, but once, you know, you have, uh, you have the church saying, well, this is, this is essentially what Scripture is saying, and it's codified, and we confess that, then that's another matter. The same is, for example, you know, when it came to the doctrine of justification. People were very confused about the doctrine of justification through the Middle Ages, right? And there were lots of different views on how someone is made right with God. Is it by faith alone? Is it by faith and works, et cetera, et cetera? You had the Franciscan order that said one thing, the Dominican order that said another. Uh, it's not until the Reformation in the 16th century when this becomes a great debate in the church that you then have the Roman Catholic, fi- the Roman Catholic Church finally responding and giving a, um, uh, a dogma about how we are made right with God that denies sola fide that's called the Council of Trent, which we should all read sometime because it really gets the Reformation right. Um, at that point, that becomes, vi- that becomes, the lines are drawn much more clear in church history. You can't just say, well, I don't know. Well, now there's been debate about these things, about what the Bible says. And we have to either go with uh, one side or the other. When it comes to the Trinity and to the two natures of Christ, One side or the other is essentially Christianity or non-Christianity. There is no Christianity that denies the Trinity or denies uh, the the, the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Not since there have been ecumenical creeds in the church that have been confessed by the whole church. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah, Charlie. Can you, can you mention uh, thanking Jesus for doing what he did? I think he's okay with that, Charlie. The <laughs> reason I say that is where I work there is all the evangelical um I gotta sit there with my office a lot. Right. And they do that. Sure. Common, yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing that's interesting. And I hear a lot of, I hear prayers like that. Um, Prayers to the Father, prayers to the Son, prayers to the Holy Spirit. We thank you. But there are no prayers like that in Scripture. So I'm always of the mind that, you know, we should kind of go with what Scripture says. I think that's good. In politics, go with what the Constitution says. In religion, go with what the Bible says. And um, so I think anything beyond that, it starts becoming a little artsy. I think it's, it's safer and better. Because, look, at, here's the thing. Look, uh, uh, turn with me, and in, ca- in case you think I'm making a weird point here. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter one. Uno. Uno. Capitolo uno. La letra di Paolo. <laughs> uh, okay. Look at, look at how he begins this letter, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what he does here. He, he highlights all three persons of the triune Godhead and their role in redemption. But notice how he directs his blessing in his pr- prayer. Verse, is here, The beginning of the epistle, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, his prayer and, and adoration is going toward the Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he, the Father, chose us in him, the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has made, blessed us in Christ, or the beloved. Okay, and on and on he goes. Then he highlights the work of Christ, highlights the work of the Spirit. But do you see how he begins? It's all directed to God the Father. God the Father. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh was revealed as the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob since the time of the patriarchs, and then you never find that again, uh, that term in the New Testament. It's now the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment. And all the praise and adoration goes to him. Or you think of uh, Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about Christ's humiliation and exaltation, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, chapter 2, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the way the New Testament speaks everywhere. It's Trinitarian. It's not modalistic. And and there's an order. It's to the glory of God the Father. Through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job, this this is why I don't like prayers to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness of the Son, not himself. That's what Jesus himself said. Fully God- 100% 100% God. But his job is not to be the, the object of our prayers. He, he is the one that highlights the work of the mediator through whom we bring our prayers to the Father. This is prayer 101. And Jesus said, when they said, our Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this way, our Father. Bingo. And then when we pray, in Jesus' name, what does that mean? I think sometimes we tend to think of that as sort of, that's the stamp, you know, that goes on the letter. You've got to say that, otherwise, you know, the postal worker won't carry it, you know. It's, and Jesus, oh, did you say, in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. And we, and we have this sort of magical, pagan way. It's a pagan way of, of dealing with it. Guys, all that means, in Jesus' name, is Father, Father, praying to you through the mediation of the Son. We pray this in the mediation of Christ. It's not a magical incantation. You know, something that you've got to say at Hogwarts in order to, you know, make it happen. It's, it's through the mediation of Christ. Whom the Holy Spirit, according to John 14, 15, and 16, makes clear. So this is what the Bible gives us. And I know, I know sometimes we pick up how to pray from other prayers. But I'm encouraging you to learn how to pray from the Lord Jesus and the way the New Testament gives us. And also even the Old Testament, as long as we now understand it in light of the greater revelation, which gets back to, to your question, that there's greater revelation now, you see. And so we have to understand what that greater revelation has taught us. And that's what the, you know, the ancient creeds have, have codified. Okay, so, modalism, yeah, is ancient heresy that even predates the ecumenical councils, um, you know, Nicaea, Constantinople, uh, Ephesus, and Chalcedon. And it is still around today, just like Arianism is around today, in Mormonism, and, and, um, and uh, amongst the, in the theology of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Apollinarianism is still around today in various forms, and Nestorianism, Eutychianism, um, Modalism is one that ultimately sees God as one person when He in fact is three. And uh, this is—it's important for us to understand the the Trinity because we're talking about God. We're talking about God. Any any other questions on that? Yes, Barbara. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that fun? I get so excited talking about that. It's so much fun. Um, so the question that Barbara was asking is, um, going back to the two natures of Christ, is uh, when we sing that song, um, it's a good song. I think it's a good hymn. Um, uh, uh, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, hast died for me? What? Yeah, is that modalistic? No. No. Great question. Great question. That's so good that you're asking that question. See, so often we just don't ask the question. We just sing. We just sing. I'm going to be singing heresy. One day I'm going to slip a, I would never do that, but (laughs) it would be fun. And just to see who catches it and just to videotape ourselves, just, you know, singing some condemned heresy, you know, because we're just going with the flow and we need that. This is why we need to be careful. And so it's a great question that Barbara's asking. Is that modalistic? Fair question. Good question. The answer is no, and here's why. So, because God cannot die. He cannot die. But humanity can die. And who is Christ? Well, Christ is the Son, right? Right? The Son of God. Now, does the Son of God have a beginning? Was there ever a time when he was not? No, that's what we that's what we settled at Nicaea 325 and confess. The fact that he was begotten doesn't mean that he was made. Can the Son of God die? In his humanity, I mean, in his divinity, can he die? No, because divinity cannot die. Can divinity, can divinity be born? Can divinity be hungry? Can divinity suffer? No, it can't. I, and I know I've heard sermons, you've probably heard sermons too, well, didn't the Father suffer? But we can't attribute that to the Father. Now, sometimes the that God will speak in his word in ways that, to help us understand, it sounds like uh, human forms, and God regretted that He did something. Yeah, yeah, that God came down in Genesis 11 and looked around and saw what was. A, you know, God breathed into the. It's using metaphorical. It's using what we call anthropomorphisms, where we are speaking scripture. God is speaking in a way that helps us understand, in our finitude, something that God, who is infinite that he did. And there are many things in the Old Testament where uh, uh, he's, he's, as Calvin said, he's using baby talk. You know, when you speak to a baby, you don't, you don't talk about, you know, U.S. tax laws, right? You speak, you know, you know and you, you, you condescend to his level. And that's what God does with us. However, when the Son of God takes on human flesh. And when was that, guys? That's not a trick question. That happened 2,000 years ago. So, God God the Son was not Jesus, you know, millions of years ago in eternity past or whatever. He took the name Jesus, which is a common name amongst Jews which is just Yahshua, God saves, 2,000 years ago. God the Son took on human flesh. When he does that, now remember, drawing things about God is always dangerous, but to help our finitude here, you have Christ, one person, two natures, human, divine. Divinity, cannot die. Divinity cannot be born. Divinity has no bounds. Humanity does. Humanity is finite. Divinity is infinite. The, divin- the divine nature of the Son of God is always joined to the human nature and cannot be separated from the human nature, but it exceeds the bounds of the human nature. And this is what was, was made clear In 431 and 451, at the Council of Ephesus that rejected Nestorianism, Nestorius was someone who said there are two natures so separate that it's like two persons because he did not like the term Mary, the mother of God. Because he said, don't say Mary, the mother of God, say Mary, the mother of Jesus. But then we have to say, but who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. And the way that we understand that from Ephesus and then also from Chalcedon is that what we can affirm of one nature we can say in our speech of the entire person. There's a fancy word for that called the communicatio idiomatum, which basically is what every parent does Every parent does, every mom does, when she tucks her child into bed at night and he says, Mommy, I'm scared. And she says, Honey, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us. Mommy, you are using the communicatio idiomatum, which was codified at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 and is fully and completely orthodox because what you are doing is you are affirming of the whole person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both human and divine, something that is true right now in his divinity but not in his humanity. Because he is. Because then, what does your child do the first time he hears you say that? Looks around. See, there's a mom. My my little girl's first time said, "Is he in the ceiling?" <laughs> okay. No, honey, he's in heaven. Well, then how is he with us? Because he is God. Because the the his divinity exceeds the bounds of his humanity. Guys, this is just orthodox Christianity. And it's so necessary that we understand these things. This is not fancy stuff that has just been whipped up in the last few years. This is stuff that the ancient church wrestled through and we have confessed since since the 5th century and even beyond. So how can we say that That thou, my God, has died for me, only in Christ. Because it was God the Son who died in his human nature, and yet his human nature cannot be separated from his divine nature. And his human nature is fully body, fully soul. Human human body, human soul. Contrary Apollinarianism that said he didn't have a rational soul, a, a soul that rationalizes and reasons. And so we can say that of Jesus and say that of God because we confirm it of the entire person. Okay, we've got to stop there uh, because the little ones, while Jesus is with them, it is time for them to go home and have their lunch, being body and soul. They have needs, as do we. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us. We give you all glory and all praise as we pray to you through the mediation of the Son whom you have sent into this world as the God-man, to live and die and be raised again for us. We come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, who points us to Jesus, so grateful for all that you have given us in him. And we pray that you would continue to grow our understanding, make us those who pray rightly, who worship rightly, who rejoice in who you are and how you have revealed yourself. For We give you all glory and all praise and all honor. In Jesus' name, amen.